a huckleberry mule, roasted oysters in Savannah, and a madman experience in Wisconsin. This week, we're talking with Samantha Brown. Traveling the world to bring you delicious dishes, tasty beverages, and interesting experiences. This is the Destination Eat Drink Podcast on the Radio Misfits Podcast Network. I'm Brent Peterson. Welcome to Destination Eat Drink, the travel podcast for foodies. This is where we sample the world's great cuisine at DestinationEatDrink.com and on the Destination Eat Drink podcast. And this week, I'm talking with the one and only Samantha Brown from the TV show Places to Love. But before we talk to Sam, let me share a recent review of the podcast. Stream 11 said, an engaging food and travel storyteller. Brent has a passion for food and travel. What makes him different is his ability to articulate his experiences in a way that is engaging and informative. On top of that, his guests are terrific. Individuals with local knowledge that you cannot get anywhere else. Great stuff. Thanks, Stream 11. If you've been enjoying DestinationEatDrink.com like Stream 11, could you give us a review too? It only takes a minute. Thank you so very much. Samantha Brown is a TV legend. She's been hosting, writing, and producing shows like Passport to Europe, Great Hotels, and many, many others for over two decades now. She won an Emmy for her current series, Places to Love, and the sixth season of that show just debuted on PBS. Check your local listings for when it airs in your town. Samantha presents travel in such an accessible and friendly way, which is why she's become one of the most popular travel hosts on television. Samantha and I talk about the new season of her show, Traveling with the Family and Curling with Olympians in Wisconsin. And of course, we talk food like supper clubs, an amazing foodie experience in a castle in Ireland and what to pair with bison pho in Montana. How's that for a wide variety of foodie experiences? All right, I'm starving, so let's eat. Destination, eat, drink. Samantha Brown, welcome to Destination, eat, drink. So great to have you here on the podcast. Brent, I love this. I'm already hungry for lunch, and so we're going to have this great conversation, um, and then I'm going to be able to eat lunch, so I'm I'm ready. <laughs> That's what I always that's what I always tell people. This is the curse and the blessing of this job is I'm going to I'm going to make you hungry. Um, yes. First and foremost, it's a it's a brand new year. So how's the family? How's Kevin? Everyone have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Yes, we did. Uh, a very good, very good year and looking forward to 2023 as well. You know, when it's filled with food and drink and travel, uh, you know, you're going to have a great year. Well, we're all back traveling again. Thank goodness. Um, congratulations on season six of Places to Love. What I love about Places to Love is the way that food takes a center stage in your program, because you're not reluctant at all, Samantha, to show the joy of eating. I mean, I just love it when you take a bite and your eyes roll back in your head. And that's how I feel when I try something new and delicious. Yeah, I think that's part of enjoying and doing any sort of food on camera. And I will say there there is a challenge because you know when you're about to eat something that 
as the host of a show, you need to come back with how it tastes and describe it. Um, and you need to talk and your you know, mouth is usually filled with food and you're struggling to find the right words because it's just amazing. So I usually just give into it. You'll see things come, you know, dribble out of my mouth. Um, you know, maybe, uh, you know, you just want to show the real experience. And, and usually my reaction is just, oh my God, that's amazing. Um, because that's, that's what it's about. Just really uh, taking that first bite and enjoying it for yourself and, and not being so mindful that two cameras are rolling at the same time. <laughs> yeah. And then get every angle of every, you know, piece of food that's hanging <laughs> yeah. out of your mouth, every bit of spittle that comes out. Um, yes. I wanted to ask you, you know, anything memorable that you have as far as eating and drinking goes that's especially memorable for you? For, for season six, I feel like it was Madison, Wisconsin. And um, it's a it's a destination that doesn't get a lot of travel love. I don't think people put it on their list of places to travel to. And yet you're yes. highly rewarded by that. And I love those destinations, Brent. I love those destinations that are sleeper hits. Not everyone is going there. Um, and yet the food, I mean, if, if Wisconsin was a country, it would be the fourth largest producer of cheese in the world in terms of countries it produces a ton of cheese all good of course and um and then it's famous for something that is really unique to the entire state which is supper clubs have you ever heard of this um i i have it's funny because i'm i'm actually from the chicago area and i went to okay. the i went to the university of illinois and when we got bored down in champaign urbana we used to road trip up to madison back in the 80s <laughs> it was it was called it was called madtown <laughs> we'd go up to madison and we would party and then we would you know stay overnight and drive back to university of illinois but anyway um friends of mine after college they started their own supper club now, this is in Illinois, not in Wisconsin, but so I'm a little familiar with this uh, this idea of Supper Club, but why don't you describe what Supper Club is for folks who are listening to the podcast? Yeah, there are only about 200 left in the entire state, but it's really something unique to Wisconsin, and they are different from restaurants. For all of us, for all intents and purposes, if anyone outside of Wisconsin sees a Supper Club, we're going to think of it as a restaurant, but there are a few big distinctions. One, it usually has a neon sign. And two, there is um, a social aspect to it. So in a restaurant, when you walk in, you know, you are with your team, right? And that's who you talk to. You don't open up to anyone else. In a supper club, you are a part of the energy of that place. And so you are you are talking with everyone. It starts out at the bar and then you move to dinner. And at the bar, the drink to have is an old fashioned. But you knowing Wisconsin know that it's not made with burby, bourbon or whiskey <laughs> or rye. Yes. It's made with brandy. So that tells you it's a, it's a different place altogether. You get a brandy old fashioned and you can have it a few different ways. One is sour where they add grapefruit soda. One is sweet where they add lemon lime soda. And so you start with a cocktail. And what I loved about this is you're, it's sort of like this mad men world and, and they're all different. So that sh I should um, uh, preface it with that. We went to a place in Wisconsin called the Tornado Room and it feels like it was out of Mad Men. It was like 1960s, you know, barrel shaped uh, banquette booths where you would have a cocktail. And then when you're done with your cocktail, 
you go in for dinner and dinner is like anything from steak to frog legs, um, really an, an old fashioned, as we've already talked about, um, kind of dining experience. And they have what they call a relish tray. And that begins every meal with bread that you carve yourself. It's like a little loaf of bread. And this begins every meal at a supper club. The relish tray is what I would call like crudite. It would be like, you know, carrots and celery sticks and some onions. It kind of looks like a Bloody Mary in search of its drink. Um, And then you have the bread and then you have your main meal. But again, everyone, you feel like you're part of a party and the party happens to have cocktails and dinner. So there's a social aspect to a supper club that makes it different than a restaurant. Now, you don't have to be a member. Um, Anyone can walk in, but it does have more of a clubby kind of neighborhood. Everyone knows each other feel. And I love that idea because, you know, so much of going into a restaurant now is, you know, you're you're at your table and you're eating your food and maybe you might talk to the person next to you, the table next to you and, oh, what are you having? But for the most part, you know, you're consigned to your table and, and your group. But this is just this, like you said, Samantha, it's a party. So that makes it so much more fun, I think. I agree. I agree. It's very Wisconsin friendly. <laughs> Wisconsin folks are friendly. And I got to say about the old fashioned, there is kind of a friendly rivalry as someone who grew up in Illinois between um, Illinois and Wisconsin, you know, and whether it is the Bears versus the Packers or whether it's calling each other cheeseheads <laughs> and flatlanders or whether it's mocking their old fashions, which we have done in Chicago, <laughs> you know, saying that that's not a real old fashioned. But you know what? It's it's pretty darn good, I think. Um, tell me about this other place yeah. you went in Madison called the uh, Fromagination Cheese Shop because it sounds amazing. Yeah, it's right by the state house, uh, the state capitol. Uh, and it's a man who has dedicated his life to cheese. And it is a nation and it is your imagination. It's all those things, you know, um, uh, baked into the cheese. But it's, you know, they feature cheese from all around the world, but of course, with a high um, focus on Wisconsin cheeses and cheeses that, um, you know, just a, a, one thing I, I didn't realize what gave Wisconsin cheese its, its fame. And apparently they came up with the block of orange cheese. That was their invention, which I, don't, I mean, oh, my wow. refrigerator is never without a block of, of a cheddar cheese. And so they made the block of cheese famous. Um, but now they have, and so of course that's the mass produced that we know, but there is, um, they sell everything from a, a, a cheese with this beautiful blue line, blue ash line in it that, that went up against, um, you know, the, the French cheesemongers of France and won awards. And so it's award-winning cheese, it's approachable cheese, it's it's everything you want in terms of really understanding the breadth of 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 a cheese experience you have and no snobbery either, which I love. I love when you can walk into any place, especially in in Wisconsin. There's no snobbery. It's just uh, friendliness of what do you want to what do you want to discover? And so um, this is a perfect place to to discover cheese. You know, um, I told you that we used to go to Wisconsin uh, back in the 80s, uh, back when I was in college. And back then, like I said, it kind of had a reputation as a party town. I think Madison's reputation is kind of swung over now to kind of like Asheville, Portland, you know, kind of a young, hipster, vibrant town. Um, is that what you're finding is? Does that reputation kind of match what you found when you went to Madison? Because I haven't been there in a while. 
Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the they are famous for the Madison, uh, the Wisconsin idea, right? And the idea that we are all in pursuit of knowledge, which uh, I love. And a university town always keeps everyone young. So um, I didn't, I didn't get the sense of the the parting aspect because that's all centered around the university. And even though that is the city, you don't have to stay within that. You're not going to be there with a bunch of partying 22-year-olds. Um, so, yeah, it was really easy to uh, enjoy the smaller businesses, um, the redeveloped neighborhoods. Uh, they're really taking over older buildings. We showed that the Garver Mill, where they have a great food scene, as well as a wonderful uh, spa. And um, it's just one of those places that's easy to be. And as we travel... And because so many of us are traveling, we're going to the places that everybody knows and it's packed. And now we're not having the real experience because there are hundreds of people trying to have the exact same meal, the exact same donut, the exact same hot dog we're trying to have. And that really disrupts that experience. But if we look further to places that aren't known for as travel destinations, we find those same really great eating and uh, drinking destinations. And yet we have them mostly to ourselves or with locals. So there's not this there's not this sort of frenetic en energy because as a traveler, you know, we have to do this. We, we've, we've planned for this. We, we can't leave without doing this. And when you're with locals, that's not there because it's something that they get to do every day, weekly or monthly if they want. So that that's that's the difference. And that's what we always try to show in our series, just these places that um, really should be seen for uh, being more travel, travel friendly. That's a, such a great point. And I, I really, I think about that a lot because, you know, we just got back from Spain. We were in Seville and Cordoba and, you know, these places are well touristed right now. Um, and even in, you know, even in winter, there's still a lot of people there. So we're really focusing now on spending a lot of time going to some of these smaller cities in Portugal where we live, where there's not so many people, where it's kind of less discovered just so that we can enjoy the everyday pace of life. And of course, it's a luxury that we have because this is where we live now. Um, I guess another place that you went to that's a little bit off the beaten path, quite a bit off the beaten path really, is uh, Big Sky, Montana. Tell me a little bit about that, Sam. Uh, well, we went there to show more of a winter destination, which I think also uh, winter doesn't get uh, a lot of credit for being a time where you should travel and experience snow and cold. I think people gravitate more towards tropical and sun and summer destinations, but winter destinations really pay off. So uh, Big Sky, Montana. Montana is one of my favorite states, uh, period. And uh, to be on a world-class mountain um, is one thing, but to also fly fish in the winter. We were there in March, so it's not dead winter, but there's still a lot of snow and and uh, snow means you could go sleigh riding on, you know, two horse open sleighs and have a really wonderful dinner at a lodge. And so it's just that cozy. It's that cozy, like embrace the cold, um, you know, have a have a, a warm, stewy kind of eating experience there. One thing we were really surprised to find was this totally local restaurant. And, and Big Sky is a resort town, but the community is local. The community there, they've been there, some families, for seven generations. And we, um, we found this one great uh, place right uh, in downtown, 
and it was and they served pho and our pho, however you pronounce that. Um, but they had a really wonderful pho made with uh, bison meat. And it was it was excellent. And also at this bar, something like, I think it's like Rocks Brewery, but all of their liquor and their booze is Montana. So you can get whiskey, you can get bourbon, you can, and, and it's all gin. It's all distilled in the state. All their beer is uh, brewed in state. And so again, it's that real local taste. And having pho with bison, I mean, it's it, that's pretty Montana. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and 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 what do you uh, what do you drink with that? You're going to have a beer with that, Samantha? You're going to have uh, some bourbon? What what are you going to drink with that? I had a Huckleberry Mule. <laughs> so <laughs> so a Moscow Mule made with uh, huckleberries, which a uh, huckleberry gin, I believe, and um and that was uh um made in in the state and huckleberries. Montana's famous for huckleberries. You can get huckleberry jam and huckleberry syrup and uh Huckleberry liqueur. So that's what I had. I I had just skied for the first time in probably 10 years. So I needed something to break up the lactic acid that was forming, solidifying in my bones. And I thought liquor's the best way. I'm sure health wise, no, that's totally wrong, but I needed a drink. <laughs> Perfect strategy. I, I'm on board with that 100%. Um, let, let's talk about another uh, cold weather destination that you went to on the new season of Places to Love. You went to the Inside Passage of Alaska and you traveled there with uh, your husband, Kevin, your kids, your in-laws. And, you know, no matter how much you love your family, that's always stressful. And you put on top of that filming a television show. So, first of all, God bless you for that. Second of all, um, what was that like? You know, because a lot of times it seems like you're out there. I, I think your husband travels with you quite a bit, but you're out there doing these shows so low What's the difference when you're traveling with the family? Oh, so much more stress. It's so much easier without kids. It's like, you know, what, what would happen if everyone had to take their kids to work? You just, you know, <laughs> and, and they don't understand, and as they shouldn't, that, you know, well, mom's working and she's on camera. But um, the best was, and we actually put our kids on camera, which we rarely do, but we did this time. And, and the best moment was with my son, Ellis, who's was he's nine years old. And uh, I said, okay, we're going to walk towards the camera, Ellis, take my hand, and we're just going to act normal. And he just said, act normal? What does that even mean? What do you mean, <laughs> act normal? And I just realized, you know, what, what a strange, you know, direction that is for a child, you know, to, to be normal, just be normal. And um, so... <laughs> what else right. would I be? I have, yeah, what, what, yeah, what does that even mean? Um, so so I had, you know, some some big uh, film critics on me that day in the in, in form of children. But, you know, there's so many great things we can do as a family when you're in Alaska. And of course, for me, that's that's eating salmon, which is the best. Uh, so as a food experience, we were really excited to to enjoy, you know, oh, my gosh, just all the salmon we possibly could. So we we. We ate our weight in salmon. My my uh, son Ellis even caught a salmon, and then they would serve it on board. If you catch any of the fish on any of your excursions, you can bring it on board, and the chefs will prepare it for you for dinner. That's uh, something they do, which is pretty special. I believe you also did some curling up in Alaska, and my girlfriend is obsessed with curling. Like, if it's on TV, we have to stop and watch curling, and she keeps threatening to join a curling league, but... We live in Portugal, so the odds of that happening seem pretty low right now. So I, 
I think I have to kind of vicariously live through you, Samantha. D- did you participate in curling and, and what was it like? I did. That was actually in the Madison, Wisconsin. Oh, it was episode. in Wisconsin. That makes sense. Yeah. yeah. Well, and they have the two Olympians. They have um, uh, Scott Hamilton, who is in a part of the Olympic men's team. And I got to curl with uh, his sister, also an Olympian, Becca Hamilton, and uh, or Becky, Becky Hamilton. And that was wonderful. And my husband, who's a curler, tell your tell your wife, um, uh, he's a curler and he belongs to the Brooklyn Brooklyn curling team. So even in Brooklyn, New York, we've got a curling team. So uh, nice. and so maybe nice. check out where you live. You never know where they where they are. <laughs> so but it's a gr- it's a great sport. It's a lot of fun. And um, it's something that you can have fun, you know, right out of the gate. You don't have to um, be, uh, you know, have trained or, or you do have to have good knees, which is harder as we get a little older. Um, but, yeah, that's it's a great sport. I highly recommend it to anybody. Let's move on to uh, Ireland because you did an episode in Belfast. And I feel like Belfast is kind of having a moment right now. A lot of people are talking about Belfast. You know, maybe 15, 20 years ago it was all about Dublin. Now people are really talking about Belfast a lot. What What is it for you that makes Belfast a special place? I think it was a place that really lives in our memory for those of us who are old enough as um, a place of strife, right. of uh, civilian conflict, the troubles. Um, we all remember that. Um, and to go back to a place that now is experiencing um, peace, uh, not, not, not total harmony, um, but they've all lived to, you know, learn to live with each other. These are great lessons for all of us, um, these days, I think as well, that even as fellow countrymen or fellow people who live in the same city or the same state or the same country, we have very, very different views and, um, we can slowly try to work them out. So, um, I, I love being there because it was one of those places that, you know, maybe 10 years ago, I just didn't think I would would go. Um, and now it's it is there's there's because it is different. It is, you know, you, you feel the sense of familiarity because it is on the, you know, Ireland, uh, the island of Ireland. Um, but there is a difference. Um very, very friendly. Oh my gosh. I, you, you can't walk without someone stopping you and talking to you just on the street. And, and, and just so that, that quintessential Irish friendliness is there, but they have, um, I, I had no idea that that's where the, the Titanic was built. So uh, the Titanic was built there. And I mean, everything from the, the carpets to the furniture, to the ship itself was built in Belfast and so you hear from them, they have a wonderful new um, experience, a Titanic experience. It's not really a museum. It's uh, more of a, uh, again, an experience of the Titanic where you really learn about how it was built here, um, there. And um, it's just wonderful. And you realize that what a shock that was to see that ship go down. And we always know the, you know, because of movies, we we always think about the ship as it sunk. But we don't think about the ship as it was being built and the pride it gave an entire city and what happened to that city when it sunk. That um, We actually got to talk to um, uh, a granddaughter of uh, a joiner, a joiner of the Titanic. He was built to you know, do the, the carving the wood and, and the banisters and all the, all the beautiful woodwork you see. And she said, her grandfather, you were never allowed to bring it up. He never talked about it after it sank. And just that feeling of understanding 
um, that the Titanic, this story, this real happening just resonates so strongly still today. So that's where it was built. Um, and, and then the, through that, the shipbuilding, you understand about this entire city's incredible industrial prowess. It was such a strength um, and, and how that went away. But now coming into uh, their own is just this vibrant city of music, of art, of, 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 of course, beer and, and uh, <laughs> all those things. So it's, it's just, it's, a, it just feels, it's feels familiar, but it's different. And I think that's what makes it really fascinating to a lot of people. What kind of food did you enjoy in Belfast? There was a few restaurants that people all gravitate towards. And we specifically, Brent, don't go to high-end restaurants because we feel like that just knocks out a lot of people who all they have is the budget to travel. And we can find some of those experiences in more um, in, in, in just mom and pop kind of places. And but for Belfast, where their food scene is, is the more very, very high-end, very um, produced food scene. Um, and so we we made a decision not to show that uh, because we wanted to show more of the heart. So where we found the food was really, um, we didn't do any in Belfast. We were at a castle because then we left for the countryside and we went to this wonderful castle where um, they make all of their food on on premises from ice cream to scones to um to the the the, the meat um and you go to this uh castle called Glenarm Castle and it's you know it's a working castle working farm and um uh and so you enjoy what they produce right there on their land sounds wonderful that mm. sounds like an amazing experience oh sign me up yeah. <laughs> um, From the cows you're you're looking at, you're like, you made this strawberry ice cream. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, so good. Um, I want to talk about Savannah, Georgia, because we lived in Charleston, South Carolina for a while. Another place that you did an episode on, uh, an episode that I really enjoyed quite a bit. But we used to uh, we used to road trip down to Savannah um, for like a weekend and for a quick getaway and. My favorite thing to go to do in Savannah, they have great food down there, but I would love just getting a cocktail and sitting in one of those shady squares and just watching the world go by and watching the horses clip clop uh, along the uh, streets there. Uh, what about you? What did you like about Savannah? What were some of your favorite things there? The um, the one. Um, yeah, it's funny when when I um are, uh, when I'm shooting a show, we're working 14 hour days. So there's no time for me to then at the end, um, you know, go to a, you know, a great, you know, a great restaurant. I, I usually just, you know, grab a salad and go or go to a grocery store and pick out some nice things for my room and just go back to my room. But one thing we showed there, which I absolutely love was just on the outskirts of the city. Um, there was a, um, um, a place called the wild dock and really kind of bare bones, but just this beautiful location on the marsh overlooking the water. And we had roasted oysters and roasted oysters in Savannah. I, I've never had that. And so they just cook them in their shell mm -hmm. and then they throw them out on the table. And you're with a big group of people, some people, you know, some are strangers and you just eat. And so it becomes this, you know, it becomes this cultural moment because you're also, um, I don't know how to eat a, a roasted oyster. I don't know how to crack <laughs> one open and how you crack it open and which ones you go for. And they look different than the oysters I'm used to. And um, so it starts the whole conversation. And I, I'm sure that's where a lot of you 
um, and and your listeners right now, it's not just about the food itself, but it's about the moment that you're having with the food and the environment. And this place just knocked it out of the park, being outside in the sun on a dock, overlooking the water and eating fresh oysters, roasted oysters. I think that's an awesome point, Samantha, not only because that's something I talk about quite a bit on the podcast, which is, you know, the atmosphere has as much to do with your enjoyment as the food itself. And this is something that we talk about all the time. It's like, why, why does this, why does the Guinness taste so much better in Ireland? Why does mm-hmm. the gelato taste so much better in Italy? Well, part of it is because they really know how to do it, but part of it is also you're sitting in a piazza and all the beautiful Italian people are strolling by in their, in their nice clothes. And, you know, the sun is setting and it's just a wonderful experience. And that is going to activate your taste buds. I I don't, I don't care what science says it's going to happen. And you're going to go, wow, Mm -hmm. this is the greatest freaking gelato I've ever had in my (laughs) life. (laughs) Exactly. Exactly. So what do you have in mind for a season seven? I mean, season six is, is on the air right now on PBS, but what do you have in mind for season seven? I, I imagine you're always thinking about this kind of stuff, right? Season seven, we're going to go more international. We've had to stay closer to home for obvious reasons. And now the world is opening up. Of course, um, COVID testing isn't (laughs) mandatory for leaving the country or coming back to the country, which you can imagine is very problematic for a film crew. But um, now that that has uh, those those rules have ended, we can travel more freely around the world. So we're looking to go as far as we can. You going to give us any teasers as to what you're th- what's in your brain right now? Nope. <laughs> okay, fair enough. No, you can't until literally before the day I leave. It's not happening because so many things have not. You know, it just there's so many things up in the air until you're actually at that location. <laughs> fair enough. Well, I've I've been watching you since your Travel Channel days, and I you know I, I saw your episode that you did on Lisbon, which is. Maybe oh. almost 20, 20 years old now at this point. Gosh, yeah. Um, right. oh. And so I'm going to put out a formal invitation. Come to Portugal. Be glad to take you to my favorite coffee shop, my favorite place to get a uh, ginginha, my favorite place to get a pastel de nada. They're not the usual places. And, uh, we'll, uh, and, and we'll go to a perfect Miradoro, which makes the pastel de nada taste even better, right? Because we know atmosphere leads to taste bud activation. <laughs> <laughs> I would love that. That sounds wonderful. It has been over 20 years since I've been to Portugal. And boy, it's a, just a phenomenal destination. You're lucky to live there. Well, thank you so much for being on Destination Eat Drink, Samantha. It's just been a joy and a pleasure to talk to you. I've been looking forward to talking to you for a while. And it's lived up to and beaten all my expectations. Thank you so much. Brent, have a wonderful day. Take care. Okay, there you go. How great was that? I mean, Samantha Brown. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. I've wanted to have Sam on the show since I started this podcast four years ago, and I'm so glad that it finally happened. And it's funny because if you listen to the podcast regularly, you've probably heard me talk to Michaela Malazzi. She's another TV host, and she has her show on PBS called Bare Feet. And she's been on a few times here. And last time she was in Portugal, we were hanging out in Lisbon. That was last summer. And I mentioned that I really wanted to have Sam on the show. And Michaela said, 
oh, you'll love her. She's just exactly like she is on TV. And I got to say, from our conversation, I got to agree that that's true. Anyway, you can catch the latest season of Places to Love on PBS. I've got a link to the show and the places Sam talked about in the show notes. Get that at radiomisfits.com slash ded216. Well, that's about it for this week. Next week, we're in Portland, Oregon for fried corn on a stick and food cart pod, so don't miss that. Until then, get over to DestinationEatDrink.com. I always have new stuff there. I just posted a story about a great day trip from Lisbon visiting caves. Get that at DestinationEatDrink.com slash Grutas, that's G-R-U-T-A-S, or just go to the DestinationEatDrink.com site and click on blog. If you enjoyed the show, Make sure to subscribe and rate and review us on your podcast platform. Thank you so very much. Destination Eat Drink is distributed by the Radio Misfits Podcast Network and a guy who's never spilled a drop of scotch while curling, Ed Silla. Thanks, Ed. I'm Brent Peterson. I'll see you down the road. Join us next week for another culinary adventure on Destination Eat Drink. A presentation of the Radio Misfits Podcast Network.